I recently picked up a new coworker every summer uh, out at Hoxie, the prairie farm, as we call it. Uh, we do all sorts of different work. It's very seasonal. That's how farming is, right? And uh, this is the time of year when weed control is a big part of the job. You got to be out in the production fields making sure that, you know, all the species that you're trying to raise uh, to then, you know, harvest and sell are staying free from, you know, competing weeds and, uh, you know, fields are just in good shape. Well, that, we grow just short of 50 different species at Hoxie. And so uh, it's a lot of work to keep up on that. And so we always hire like a, a guy or two or maybe three um, to come out in the summers and uh, help with that. Well, we hired a new guy who is a uh, high school student. And, uh, um, he is, um, just like killing it. He's doing a great job. Uh, we actually played meteor trivia. I saved it from last week so that I could, uh, you know, listen to it with him while we were working, you know, make things, uh, uh, good and fun for him as best as possible. And the dude scored a nine out of 10. I've never scored a nine out of 10. He just killed it. He beat everybody on the show. Um, so he's, he's just, he's just slaying it, man. So today, before I got there, I was saving, you know, meteor trivia. I get there, you know, usually an hour before he does. Cause he rides with another coworker who gets there a little bit later. And I was like, you know, I'm going to listen to this podcast that, um, I just saw advertised by a guy who's been on this podcast before and need to get him back on this podcast. Ryan Gilman of Rhode Island whitetails posted about some crazy story, um, that he experienced while camping in new England. And, uh, it was on the hunt suburbia podcast. And I was like, man, I need to, I need to listen to that. That, that sounds creepy, but very interesting. And, uh, so in the meantime, I've been talking with, um, Patrick here, who's our, our guest tonight of uh, now I know the hunt suburbia podcast. And I'm like, Hey Patrick, uh, you know, we're going to do this uh, hunt stock podcast. Uh, could you send me your email? And he sends me, you know, the hunt suburbia thing. I'm like, no way. This is the guy that heard the story. He put the, and so I listened to that this morning and I was blown away. First of all, great quality show you run Patrick. Uh, great edits and and uh, good job making it interesting. You do a good job hosting and getting uh, to the truth of the matter. And um, you know, good you know, kudos to Ryan as well for <laughs> not only telling a great story but surviving to uh, tell that story. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, let's let's kind of tease our listeners here a little bit. Like, what would be a good fifteen second pitch for people to listen to that? episode and how can they listen to that episode um yeah dude so uh thanks for having me on kent and ryan's a great guy i didn't know he was on your podcast too he's an awesome awesome guy it just shows you how small this world of yep. the hunting the hunting industry world is right that, that we're involved in um we were up at total archery challenge and he was there with bear archery who's uh, one of their sponsors and mm-hmm. we had our our hunt stock booth there in Vermont. And he's like, dude, I got to get back up to your studio because I have this crazy story. I have to tell you, and I'm just like, where is he going to go with this? And, <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like Sasquatch, bro. I'm like, 
what are you serious and he's like <laughs> i'm dead serious it's like bigfoot it's like the unknown it's something you know i i still don't know what it is but bigfoot was my best guess so i was like dude i am totally i'm all about that i i love hunting but i've always been super interested in the paranormal and like aliens and like i like to you know i like to stretch my mind and yeah. and um you know think about uh all the stuff that could be out there. So I, I, it was right up my alley. I was like, come on in, let's record the podcast. And it really is an incredible story. Yeah. Um, and he's got some good audio um, on there that people can listen to and chime in what they think it might be. We had a lot of people send a messages saying, Oh, it could be this. It could be that. Um, but that's great. It, it generated quite a bit of buzz and um, you know, he's a hunter, he's an outdoorsman as we all are. So we know the woods, we know animals, we know what they sound like most of the time. Um, and it's just a really compelling, you know, uh, firsthand account of an encounter um, happened on a full moon night, ended up being in a native American burial ground. I mean, there's just a lot of cool, intriguing things to it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I already do the Hunt Suburbia podcast all about hunting, um, but I, I think we're going to do a little spinoff series now and because um, I've, I've got dozens of people saying, hey, I want to come and tell this story about something that happened to me that was pretty unexplainable. And there's some compelling stuff in the inbox there. So I think we, we might do a few more of those. Yeah, that is that is such a great idea. You know, I I a long time ago, I was going to do an interview with um, – a guy who helped reestablish wolves in the West. And he, uh, he wrote a book called Wolfer. His name is Carter Niemeyer. He wrote a book called Wolfer and talks about all of his experience from like, I think he started in like the seventies and, and worked through, uh, the mid nineties as a, uh, they call them government trappers. They work for APHIS, uh, or, you know, U S department of agriculture, wildlife services. And, um, just, the you know within that job the there's very few other positions uh you know where people are working and spending as much time in the you know in the wild i guess you could say in and around you know wilderness areas you know there's some park rangers out there that do some of that there's there's um of course you know maybe on the private side of things uh ranch hands and stuff like that or people call them cowboys, I guess, um, still, you know, there's, there's some people like that, but very few people that are just out there, I guess up in your neck of the woods, you could maybe say some logging outfits. You could be pretty far back in there, uh, doing some work, but I wanted to know, uh, and I, I never got, I don't think I ever got an answer, but I wanted to know what is the craziest thing you've seen? Cause you have just been in there. There's gotta be some unexplainable things things that have happened in a full career of doing that stuff and um then you hear a story like ryan where it's like i just happened to go camping with my wife and you know you could either look at it as <laughs> wrong place wrong time or right place perfect timing uh, i guess it's all how you look at it but man what a, what a wild thing so i'm really excited to hear that story and he referenced something else in there uh, missing 411 a yep. really good friend of mine, a guy who's been on this podcast a couple times, Alex Earhart. We used to work together, and he was the one that introduced me to that probably five or six years ago. He started, I think he saw the film that Ryan talked about. It's kind of, it's an older film. It's been around probably for almost 10 years. And um, he watched that film, 
became super intrigued with it. And he does all kinds of backpacking and camping all over the country, all over North America. And, uh, so he was very interested in it. And, uh, then he read, I think there's like three or four books. I think they break them down into like the different regions of North America, you know? So there's like a North, a Northwoods, you know, book, there's a out West and then an out East and then down South, you know, uh, he read all those books and like started telling me about some of the stuff. It's like, man, I love hunting too much to ever read that. I am not, (laughs) I'm not going to do that to myself, man. It's just, uh, there's too many, too many things that can, uh, you know, freak you out if you, uh, allow it to get into your head a little bit. But I, I, I too find it to be very interesting. And, and, uh, you know, from a, you know, there's so many ways you can look at what is going on. You know, you, you see that, you see those clickbait things on like, you know, social media every now and then where people like show all these funky things that are on a trail camera and some of it, you know, it's like, well, I can see how somebody could have dressed up as something weird and walk, you know, they knew their buddy's trail camera was there and they tried playing a prank on them. But some of those things are just like, what on earth am I looking at here and how on earth could this be explained? You know, it's, I just, I, I, I can't wait to just get a few more of these, um, these podcasts under my belt. Um, I think we're calling it the unex, uh, unexplained encounters. And, um, yeah, there's like, there's like so many creepy pictures that have already been sent that I'm just like, I need to, I want to, I want to put my investigator hat on and, and go be an investigator. I always thought as a kid that I'd be a good detective and a yeah. friend, like a forensics detective. And as hunters, we kind of are, all, all of us are our own detectives and we're um, trying to learn the behavior of the deer and we're following mm-hmm. the breadcrumbs to them and all that. Anyway, I think probably most hunters would be good detectives. Um, the problem that I run into is that there's only so many hours in the day and I have way yep. too many ideas. Yep. Like I would love, I would actually love to like do a true crime podcast or like do a whole series on like what I just did with Ryan like that, but I just can't do it. I'd, I'd yep. have to cut yep. some- something out, you know? <laughs> Yep, exactly right. Yeah. There's only, but you know, that's the that's the beauty of running your own show too. Is you can work that stuff in, and I think that's what makes a really compelling podcast. You know, where you just get these these interest stories, and and it relates. You know, it absolutely relates. Ryan's a really good hunter, and uh, a lot of those senses and skills that he has from hunting added a lot of a detail to the story, but also like you knew it wasn't just some guy freaking out over, you know, yeah, credibility, man, added credibility to it. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't yep. just freaking out over, you know, a buck grunting or, you know, something <laughs> like that, that like, you know, somebody who had no experience in the woods, it, what, what his experiences were, like you said, they're very credible. And so, uh, yeah, the audio too is wild. So yeah, uh, yeah that if you're listening in right now, let that be the biggest teaser. You can hear the sounds uh, that Ryan and his wife were hearing at 2 a.m. Uh, in in uh, the remote part of Maine. So and definitely, then it's the landowner and the neighbor oh. that tie, like what what they say at the end that just ties it all in. It's like <laughs> all right, now it's like now it's really compelling. <laughs> yeah. So I told yeah. that part to all my coworkers. We were all working on something together in the office. Um, and I like pit, I, you know, like I gave him the the story, and I was like, "All right." So then, I love doing those. You know, what 
what amount of money would you have to be paid to do X, Y, and Z? I love, you know, throwing those hypotheticals out there just for like a conversation sake, you know? <laughs> and, uh, one of my coworkers was like, just totally freaked by the story. I'm like, Oh, come on, man. Would you, you know, you get to choose like two friends, but you got to go back there on a full moon, you know, and you gotta, you gotta like, uh, you get paid so many dollars per hour that you can stay there. You know, that, that kind of thing. Oh. It, was, it was like, it dominated our conversation at work for about an hour today. <laughs> so, uh, it's a, it's a great story. Well, we can't wait to go next. We're going to go on a full moon this summer to actually do some investigating, get some nice cameras, bring some audio equipment. We're going to do it up the right way. Like I can't wait to be there on a full moon. I don't know. I, I enjoy being, <laughs> I enjoy living life on the edge of things and just like a deer does, but I like to be on the edge of being terrified. You know, it's just, yeah. I, I love that. I love it. Yep, for sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear more from you guys on that. And and maybe see some footage there. It's just such a, such a crazy thing. And, and, um, you know, some of that stuff, so I'm a pretty religious guy, you know, I, I know the Bible pretty well. And, and, uh, um, you know, so does one of my coworkers and we were, he was, he was actually the one who was the most freaked. I was like, so what do you think about all this stuff, man? And he's like, well, you look, you look here in the Bible and it, you know, talks about, you know, definitely like a spiritual realm that exists. And yeah, and, uh, you know, we kind of almost, we almost like take some of the stuff, like the stories in the Bible and, you know, for people who, who still follow the Bible and believe the Bible, we almost write some of that stuff off, you know, like miracles or, or, uh, you know, talks about like casting out demons and, and the presence of demons and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, even like, uh, he talked about, there's this, this story, uh, in the old Testament where it talks about, um, you know, somebody conjuring up the ghost of, uh, of, um, Samuel, who was like a, a, a prophet or a judge of, of Israel or something, a leader, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, you know, even from a religious standpoint, like there's, there's a, an explanation that definitely leaves the door open for, wild wild stuff that we can't see you know or, or experience all the time but then when people have those kinds of those kinds of uh you know shocking stories where they you know it's like man that i mean it's not just a bear it's not just a it's not just a bobcat not just a you know like you guys talked about the pie there's there's something more there than we can fully understand and so uh, when you it, talk about a spiritual society too, that was so tied in with that, yeah. it's the Native, Native Americans, man, and uh, you know the, some of the stories that that they had and that passed down mm -hmm. um, that we hear about now, and you know, they, I mean, there's so so much intriguing things um, that yeah. kind of tie in with that story that makes makes us want to go investigate it a little more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's. It's a it's a, it's a fascinating story. So if you haven't if you haven't tuned in yet, definitely do so. Go to the Hunt Suburbia podcast. What episode was that? Uh, ninety six. So it's the most 96? recent episode. Yep. So go check out episode ninety six on the Hunt Suburbia podcast. You will not be disappointed. It's not a super long story either. It's only I think the whole episode is less than an hour. So definitely yeah. tune into that and uh, you'll enjoy it. Patrick runs a great show. You'll see that as well, and I'm sure you'll stick around for some other ones. I already know the next one that I'm going to listen to. It's a, it's a guy who's got the same last name as me, but I imagine he pronounces it the Canadian way. Um, 
Boucher. No, bushy. No, bushy, dude. Bushy, really? I've never heard that. Yeah, he pronounced uh, it bushy. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah, so we we pronounce it Boucher here in uh, the Midwest. It was <laughs> another way. Wow. Yep, it was. Yeah. It was the it was originally the same way as uh you know the water boy Boucher, but uh, at some point they just uh they just changed the pronunciation. But no, that guy's story sounds fascinating as well. He's kind of tied in with the the Milo Hansen buck and yep. And he scored scoring and stuff. Yeah, he scored the Milo Hansen buck, which certified it as the BNC world record, as everybody knows now, still is the world record. Um, but he's also just scored so many world class bucks, like the Fulton buck. Um, he scored the Johnny King buck, which ended up getting him fired from Boone and Crockett. You mm. know, the King, the King buck that was challenging the Milo Hansen buck. Uh, and if it was scored as a typical, would have. Um, you know, uprooted that buck as the and be the new world record, but it was deemed a non-typical, you know, by Boone and Crockett. So he's got, and then he was fought. They said nobody else can from Boone and Crockett can score the buck. We've made the ruling, and he went and did it anyway because he felt, you know, he was upholding the integrity of what he swore as a Boone and Crockett scorer in the in the rule book. He was scoring it the way the rule book said, not the way that was being dictated to him is how he talks mm. about it. But it's a really interesting podcast that has, um, you know, a lot of history and, you know, hunting lore tied into it. He talks about the Rompola buck a little bit. He tried to go score oh, the Rompola awesome. buck. That, yeah, he, that's another rabbit hole that would just be rabbit such, hole. A, <laughs> such a great thing to dive down. And I didn't learn about that until maybe six months ago. What yeah. a crazy, crazy sick set of circumstances around that, and and uh, but yeah, you can hear all this. Go to the Hunt Suburbia podcast and check it out for sure. It's it's a great quality show there. So, yep, but uh, it. but tonight, man, we're going to talk about hunt stock, and uh, it's happening in my home away from home. Um, I am a uh, a Midwestern boy. A there's a great Coulter Wall song called "Plain to See Plainsman," and that song. Mm-hmm could be played at my funeral someday <clears throat> but it, it just it just it defines me but i love going out east my uh, in-laws are from new hampshire spent a lot of time uh, especially in your neck of the woods in new england and uh it's just such a beautiful part of our country you guys have some of the best weather this time of year it's not you know scorching hot it's nice and mild um <clears throat> It's nice and mild. It's not, um, you know, uh, overbearing like it can be here in the Midwest or even out West. But uh, also what people don't realize is a great hunting region of our country. Um, I, I firmly believe it's the most underrated um, hunting community, really, uh, in our country. Um, there's such strong hunting tradition and and um, and and really a heritage that's passed down from generation to generation there, and it, and it makes sense when you really take the time to think about it because that's where our country, you know, as far as uh, you know, European descended people started out. That's where our, you know our yep. our government, our political side to our country started out. And so that's where, you know, European immigrants first started hunting. And uh, when you start thinking about it that way, it's like, oh, yeah, it kind of, it, it kind of makes sense. But you guys got a lot of, of 
you know, diversity to chase after, um, and really just some excellent opportunities as well. Can you kind of like describe that hunting culture of New England a little bit? Yeah, you you nailed it, man. It's um, and it's the reason that I even had the motivation to start hunt stock quit my job put everything into this was because i believe we have the most hardcore dedicated hunters in the world with the richest you know heritage and like Mm. you said it's because it goes back all the way back to the roots of the settlers um we've got a huge deer camp um culture you know everybody that's how i got into it you know pretty much everybody in vermont where i grew up in you know, got into hunting from a deer camp. They belonged mm. to a deer camp or they had their own and there's 10 to 20 guys that go in and out. And that whole culture is just, it's been passed down, you know, from the 1700s really Wow. Uh, up here in the Northeast. I know you're in your first gen uh, hunter podcast. Um, you know, my deer camp was been around for three generations. My grandfather, built it with his friends in the fifties. That's awesome. Um, and then my dad, you know, grew up hunting there and, and it started for me, like seeing my dad leave for the weekend and, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of like the kid in the window. Where's yep. dad go? Where's dad going? <laughs> oh, he's going, he's, he's going hunting. He's going to camp. And then he would come back and he would always be like, I can't tell you what happens at camp. You just have to wait till you get older and then you, you'll find out. So it was always this like big, like, Man, I can't wait because he can't even tell us stories. That's how secret camp is. <laughs> no wonder you, it's, no wonder you wanted to be an investigator, man. That was a big mystery to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. But it's like you know what happens at deer camp stays at deer camp. You know, like yeah, people right. go there, they have a fun time, they tell stories, and then uh, they shoot some bucks. And so that's um, that's that's what most of the culture uh, is centered around is that deer camp culture up here. And then you combine that with some of the most difficult states to hunt in terms of rack rack wise doesn't produce, you know, like mm-hmm. the Midwest States do um, the same number of, of record book box, right? The yep. qual the, the, the racks are a little smaller bodies are bigger. Once you get to the Northern Vermont, Northern New Hampshire and Northern Maine, you know, they're all really heavy bucks. Um, so they got bigger body size, generally smaller racks, but there are some really great deer oh, um, yeah. and, and, and it's fun to try to find the really good ones. It's um, because there are fewer and, and, and farther between, it takes a little more effort to go out and find those really big ones. Um, there's a lot of public land, you know, I, we realize the Midwest states and the Western states, and you look at it, it's like mostly private. Some of these places have less than 10% of their land is, is public. The Northeast, there's so much public. And there's also... Um, this is another cool thing that ties back into the culture is that uh, most of these states, you can hunt private land if it's not posted. You know, you, you yeah. it's free, it's free to it's free to hunt. You know, there's places across the country um, where, you know, you can't step on private land no matter what without permission. And the Northeast is generally it's it's just been part of the general way that we do things. Um, and it's actually written into the laws in most of the northeastern states. If you don't post your land, um, then it's open to the public and most people don't post it. Um, now, with people moving out of cities and the urban sprawl a little bit and people buying vacation properties and stuff, you're starting to see a lot more land get posted. But there still is a ton of 
public land to hunt up here in the Northeast. And there's so many different ways that you can hunt. Like for me, I've been hunting suburban deer, you know, in the suburban Boston area, all the way out to central Massachusetts, you know, there's a lot of great suburban hunting there, but if I want to go track a buck or something, or I want to go hunt big woods, I got my Vermont deer camp. That's only three hours away. I can go to New Hampshire and hunt the white mountains, which are hundreds of thousands of acres of national forest land that you can hunt. Mm -hmm. Or I can go to, go to Maine that has a million acres of, you know, private, um, most of it is uh, paper company land and yeah. and logging land, but it's all open to hunting. Um, and then you've got the Adirondacks, which is a crazy. Have you yeah. heard about the Adirondacks? Oh yeah, yeah. yep, yeah. Yep. Freaking million million and a half acres of uh, forever wild, you know, deep deep wilderness land up there. So yeah, there's just everything's over the counter. There's so many states. If you tag out in one state and you still want to hunt more, I mean, you, you couldn't fill all the buck tags within a three hour driving distance if you tried. So there's, there's a lot of good opportunity That's for awesome. guys that are willing to work for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, we've had some, some guys from new England, uh, on the podcast before kind of talking about some of these opportunities that Patrick's mentioning here. You can think of Brad Willie, who's now with big woods bucks. Um, formerly white mountain buck trackers is who he used to be with. Um, and then, uh, Ryan Gilman that we were talking about earlier from, uh, Rhode Island whitetails. And, um, <clears throat> I know I'm forgetting somebody. I think we, we had, uh, somebody, Oh, um, uh, I, I uh, Marcus gray who, uh, lives up in Maine. He actually does a lot of squirrel hunting, um, but he's also talked about some of the moose opportunities up there and, and so forth. And, and so, uh, all kinds of, you know, just incredible opportunities there. And, um, I like how you said that, you know, over the counter opportunities too. not, you know, if you want to hunt a moose, yeah, you're going to have to get in on the lottery, but, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> and that was wild. What Ryan said on his episode, he knew a guy who was hunting moose in Maine while he was up there camping and the guy had been applying for 50 years yep and finally uh finally uh drew a tag so pretty incredible but but yeah all uh all right there in new, new england just a fantastic place and speaking of like creepy stuff um the adirondacks i drove through there once on my way up to uh champlain which there's another creepy place you know you got champ the the north yep. american loch ness monster um uh, driving through the Adirondacks, like that place just feels so ancient. Like, and I've been, you know, I've been out West quite a few times, you know, in the Rockies and I've, I've of course been to a lot of other places in, you know, the Northeast part of our country. And, and I've been in the Southeast. I've never been anywhere that just like, you feel like, man, there could be, you know, revolutionary war relics hanging around you know out in those trees and french and indian war relics and you know like just untouched for hundreds of years type wilderness it yep. is kind of a it was a spooky feeling honestly you know it really mature trees everywhere oh, um yeah. and and what's really cool about the adirondacks is if you want true wilderness hunting in the northeast that's the place to go because uh, a lot of people talk about Northern Maine, the, the, the great North woods of, uh, of upper Maine where, um, nobody lives, but there's a lot of logging operations and there's, you, you can't really get into a patch of woods without, 
being able to walk, you know, and and point in any direction, and you'll be out of the woods at least to a logging road within two miles. But mm-hmm. when you're in the Adirondacks, you you've got 30 mile stretches, you know, where you could be in the center so of, the, of the biggest patch where it's like, all right, walk in that direction. You're going to hit a raging river and then you're going to have to figure out how to get across that. And then there's another 16 miles before you hit a road. And it's really that big untapped wilderness. So it's, uh, yeah. there's a, l- a lot of big bucks die back there of old age um, that yeah. never, never see a human because it's inaccessible the way that Northern Maine is accessible. You can at least drive logging roads and stuff. Right. But, Adirondacks is a different animal. That's yeah. that's probably what you felt driving. Yes, through there. absolutely. It, I absolutely felt that way. It's like, man, you could get lost out here and nobody would ever find you. I mean, it, it's yep. just it's just so wild. But I like that too. You know, it's uh, it's nice to still totally. have those places for sure. Well, uh, you created this thing to kind of celebrate all of this, which I think is just such a genius idea. I love the naming of it. You created Hunt Stock. Uh, or sometimes, you know, you might hear it called Huntstock Fest um, or Huntstock Festival. But uh, Hunt Fest. Hunt Fest. Yeah, there you go. People say Hunt Fest all the time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Huntstock, man, I love it. It's a great idea. Was last year the first year you guys, uh, was that launch year? Yep, it was. Yep, last year was the first year. And uh, just kind of a who's who of uh, New England hunting and uh, a couple other big names were, were there as well. Looks like you guys have really grown this year, uh, going into year two. Um, well, you know, who, who had the idea and, and, uh, can you talk a little bit about how year one went and then the growth to, uh, now year two? Yeah. Um, so it's been just something that I have, thought a lot about for the last probably four or five years kind of right before covid hit i was thinking about it i've worked at um an event company you know basically my whole career running Mm. global global sponsorships for uh um the spartan race and being a part of spartan race you know basically from the very first event they did and then being there for the whole growth and i still work for spartan race i'm a contractor with them um and they'll help facilitate some sponsorship deals there and stuff. But I was kind of in a unique position where I, I've seen a, an event go from one event uh, to a global, you know, 300 event monster, you know, company. Uh, so yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get that kind of an ex- experience. Uh, I was never super passionate about obstacle course racing or, you know, and in- it was, it's a great company. I just, I'm not an obstacle course racer. I don't like to run just to run. And, and I, <laughs> I, I like, I like to get my fitness in the outdoors, right. The and yep. hunting and fishing and doing what we all love to do. And um, so I had been thinking about it. I've been watching what total archery challenge was doing. And um, I think a friend of mine called and asked, um, he, he said, Hey, I've been approached as a possible investor for total archery challenge. What do you think about this type of business? And da, 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 da. And I looked into it and he was basically, he's like, these guys are, they're doing really well. And I looked yeah. and there's, there's not, there's no real competitors to what, what they were doing. And I knew from the Spartan race world, Spartan was a huge one. Then tough motor was a huge competitor. And then there was warrior dash as kind of this three headed monster. Yeah. And there was all this competition. And then I looked and I'm like, there's not a whole lot of competition going on. Um, 
from the total archery challenge side. And I don't want to create a, you know, a, a 3d archery event like they do, they're crushing it. But I was, I, I went to their event and I was like, you know, there's a lot more that could be done in the festival area and having mm-hmm. some, you know, much more seminars and things going on and experiences with brands. And there's just, there's more that could be done in a festival hub. So I was like, why don't I, people were telling me through, through my podcast too, like, you know, these Northeastern um, shows um, have been kind of stale and, you know, going downhill and what you're doing with the podcast, getting younger people involved. And and so I was getting a lot of advice, like maybe you should start something. So it all just kind of came together at the right time. It's like, I might as well start something. I've, I've got the experience um i'm in it full-time now it's like it's 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 my my full-time gig but the northeast deserves like our, our hard-working hunters deserve a really good innovative fresh show and i think that's just what we're trying to do we want to deliver something that's different than what anybody else is doing not step on any other um shows toes fill a gap and and there is nothing like what we're doing in the northeast so we're doing it uh it's been in we're growing really fast already, um, but this is just the first one. We want to establish the Northeast first, and then we're eventually going to take it on the road. And um, I would like to do one in each region of the country um, eventually, but we'll do one here, and then maybe the next one will be the Midwest. Um, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, next time we, you know, one year we'll do two, maybe 2024, maybe it'll be 2025. We'll have our second event. And I like to grow things slowly too. Spartan was a super fast growth property. And there was, um, you know, there's issues that happen when you grow so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to have all the ducks in the row and, um, but yeah, the show is already like doubled in size from the first year, um, in terms of vendors and speakers and, um, pre-ticket sales. I mean, it's, um, People loved it, and and it was a pretty magical experience to be a part of it last year. To be honest, yeah, yeah, that is so cool. I I love that idea too of how you, you know, you took another model and and totally built your own new thing using some of the principles you learned and what you observed. And I haven't gone to a total archery challenge event yet, but man, do they look like a lot of fun. And uh, <clears throat> I imagine that's where uh, you know you said that's where you and Ryan uh, kind of hit it off and. I imagine he was probably shooting at the Sasquatch target when his story came up, but uh, <laughs> I always see they have those giant, like you know, seven foot tall Sasquatch Reinhardt targets or whatever. But oh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great idea. I think it's I think it's awesome, and I agree. You know, it's good to freshen these things up. Sometimes, um, you know, one time I so we uh, we went up to Pheasant Fest for work this year, and we did a vendor booth there, and and um, um, ran into Ryan Callahan from Mediator up there, and then we had him on our work podcast uh, shortly thereafter. And and uh, he had said something. I I was listening to one of his podcasts after, right after Pheasant Fest, and he said, "I go to these, uh, well, we'll just call them festivals all the time. I go to these festivals all the time for hunting and and the outdoors, fishing, whatever." And he said, usually they leave me totally exhausted and like, (laughs) uh, you know, like used up, but pheasant fest, there's just a different energy there. And, And what I think it is there is they do put a lot of effort into trying to make that a really diverse thing. But I think we've all either have 
you know, worked at or have attended the opposite, the same, you know, the thing that's done the same way year after year after year, you know, you know, all the companies are in the same exact booth location, you know, from year one to year 10 and you just kind of know what to expect and there's not, there's not a lot of, of variation. And that's, those are the ones that leave people burned out and, and worn out at the end. And so seeing how you've freshened things up just with the idea in the first place and then all the different stuff, you know, I'm looking at the map that you have right now uh, on the screen for how everything lays out. There's a lot for people to see and do um, when they go. So can you uh, kind of describe, you know, is it mostly, uh, you know, tr- you know, walk around to different vendors and see what people are, you know, what they have to sell or, or is there a lot of other stuff too? No. So what really sets our show apart, what here, here's all the ways that we're different. We're in the summer. We're right pre-season, you know, a couple weeks before guys seasons start to open. So we're getting people right as, you know, our interest is peaking again. All the other shows, most of them anyways, are, you know, right in the winter, obviously, January, February, mm-hmm. March, right after most seasons end. Um, so I just think that in itself lends a little bit of a different feel to it. People Definitely. are in um, gear up mode, too. So it's great for partners and sponsors because people are, you know, buying gear and everybody's procrastinator because we're also busy so people are buying stuff you know a few weeks before the season um it's outdoors it takes place on a farm like at 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 its core like you know hunters are basically like the farm lifestyle so it's on this beautiful beautiful farm with an amazing family um they've just got it it's a perfect place for for what we're looking to do so it's half out you know mostly outside 75 percent outside and then we've got that indoor pavilion which has the main stage on it that main stage will see um legends you know giving seminars like the legendary hunters of the northeast the guys that everybody here knows about but but you guys might not um or you know guys in the west might not but the northeast knows all of these guys um Mm -hmm. lanny Lanny Benoit and Hal Blood oh, yeah. and yep. Rodney Elmer and and Jeff Doyle and um, there's just it goes on and on, on on who we've got the Joe Donitos from the Adirondacks and Jim Massett and those guys I mean we've got speakers from every state that are just certified hardcore big buck killers and the place that's really hard to do that and yeah. they, they get they get big deer every single year so that stage will have those guys um, doing seminars. It'll have a podcast headliner every night. So we've got Mountain Deer Podcast, which is Rodney Elmer's podcast on Friday night, primetime. And then Saturday night, it's Big Woods Bucks Podcast, primetime. We have an outdoor stage as well that um, is the same thing as the indoor. It's going to be under a big wedding tent. So it's a little bit smaller of a space, but it's a nice stage out there too. Um, And that's kind of... Uh, a, a bunch of legends too. Some of those guys will be out there doing outdoor seminars in that stage. Um, we've got uh, uh, all the podcasters that come to Huntstock. Um, you know, that's kind of the podcast stage uh, out there. So it's just live podcasts, like Huntstock being a play on Woodstock. Obviously, yeah, yeah. We we want we want to have podcasters going on one after the other. You know, like uh, like a music festival would be with mm-hmm. with like head, headliners at the top. Um, 
we have uh that's another cool thing about Huntstock. we we give free booths to content creators because we believe what we are doing is important to that's spreading awesome. spreading the love to the next generation of hunters um so if you're a content creator if you have a podcast or you have a youtube channel or you do something even if you just write a blog or whatever if you want to come out and promote what you are doing all we ask is that you take pride in your booth. You come up with something that's unique, uh, you know, something of value to give back to people there because that's another core tenet of what we do is we don't want any boring booths because yeah. some of the, some of these shows you go to, you're, you're literally, you you're like being repelled by the energy coming from these booths. So like people are either bored or they don't even know why they're there and they're just sitting down, <laughs> sitting down with some yeah. brochures on the table and there's nothing really to see. And then you got people who are trying to drag you, you know, like pull you in, you know, with hard sales. Um, Huntstock is not like that. We won't let anybody who is going to be that hard sale trying to, hey, come on over. You, you ever heard about our windows or our solar panels? And yeah. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. It's all you, every sponsor is related to the outdoors. Um, and we find that if you are not worried about making sales, then that that type of energy and vibe with our attendees is what actually ends up getting you more sales in the long run anyway. So everybody's just chill, laid back, wanting to talk about hunting. Um, but yeah, the content creator thing, everybody getting in uh, for free as a content creator is um, something that we're going to keep doing. Um, and people end up generally just talking about it too. So if they have a podcast, they're there for free, then you get some impressions and it helps to promote the show too. So um so that works out really well. Um, we have the three. We do have a 3D archery course. We're not, you know, trying to compete with with TAC because you know they got seven courses and hundreds of targets. And we do one 20 target course that goes through. It's a woodland course. It's a bow hunters course. Oh, it gives cool. you gives you real life bow hunting scenarios. You know um, that you would find in the Northeast. So it's not set up like a Western style course or anything like that. Um, we have multiple bars, you know, one outdoor bar, one indoor bar. We've got on-site camping for vendors. So vendors camp out right there on site. We do an after party every night. The festival shuts down around eight o'clock and the after party will go eight to 12 with some live music. Um, and then we give away $30,000 and more. It'll probably end up being 40,000 or 50,000 by the time uh, the show runs around of just industry stuff, like great awesome. products seven different guns, bows, arrows, tacticams, um, vacation stays, outfitted hunts, and just a whole bunch of really cool That's stuff. So cool. at the, at the end of every day we give, we, we do giveaways. Um, so that's, that's really it. I'm sure there's a whole bunch more that separates us, but it, it's really just, it, it is that vibe and that energy there. There's something different about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, that that sounds amazing, man. I definitely want to make it there myself. Um, I love the element of you know trying to help other creators uh, promote their uh, their message because that's really what it is. You know, I think a lot of times people think that creators are just doing it for the money, and I'm sure some are, but most of us we just want to want to provide a helpful message, something that inspires and uh, makes people feel more connected to, in this case, hunting. And uh, I love that uh, it celebrates the great hunting tradition of New England. And uh, I hope that message gets out, uh, you know, even louder as each year of Huntstock goes on. So 
Uh, if people want to go, uh, when is it? It's August 11th, 12th, and 13th, um, and it's in Westminster, Massachusetts, uh, at Wildwood Farm. Um, so, and you can find it at huntstockevents.com or okay. just like click through on any of my socials. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you got about two months to prepare. So, uh, most people that listen to this podcast, we do have a strong listener base out in new England, but we, we most are going to be coming from the Midwest. So you got two months to get your plane tickets and, or put together your driving plans. It might be easier, uh, for flying or, you know, driving with your bow as opposed to flying with your bow, but certainly not impossible. And, uh, yeah, go on to Instagram, follow, the hunt stock uh page there i believe it's just at hunt stock is that correct patrick no on instagram it's at hunt stock fest somebody already had hunt stock oh okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's at hunt stock fest on instagram and then uh at hunt suburbia is is the podcast it's a bigger page it might be easier to find and it, it all clicks through on either of those pages very good. So uh, that, that's where you can find uh, Patrick, and that's where you can find uh, more information on Hunt Stock, and then also the website that Patrick mentioned. I will share all of those in the show notes. And that website, again, is huntstockevent.com. Is Ev- that correct? Events with an S in the end. Events Huntstock with events. an S. Yep. Okay. Be- so because hunt- it's going to be more than one in a few years. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So huntstockevents.com. And uh, you can get all that information there. Make sure you check it out. Absolutely. Also check out the sponsors of the show. Don't forget we are presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is becoming a leader in the whitetail industry. Not just the hunting industry, but let's go all the way down to the whitetail niche part of that. Uh, Really uh, one of the finest companies in that niche market of the hunting industry. Uh, Because of their uh, unrivaled deer behavior prediction service that they provide through uh, their app, you can download the app for free. You can get all the mapping uh, aspect of that for free. Uh, but then if you want to get in on that uh, industry-leading deer behavior prediction uh, capability, you'll uh, pay for that subscription, and um, it is very affordable. You can get it either through for a few months or, you know, like if uh, you do it like I do or uh, Caleb does, uh, you can download or uh, subscribe for the whole year get and use that thing all the time. I just uh, uh, have been using that for what did i use it for i just used it um this weekend oh i know what i used it for i am supposed to do a uh um my sister has this like schooling group that she's a part of and uh they wanted to go on a prairie walk and since i you know am like a prairie guy i am supposed to uh show up and uh educate these uh students and uh, their parents on some different prairie facts so I went to this big uh, wildlife management area, and I kind of mapped out all the different spots I wanted to check out to see if uh, um, I could uh, uh, take them to one of those spots to find some good prairie to look at. And Spartan Forge was right there in my pocket to help me do that, and I saved a pin that uh, I'm going to use. So Spartan Forge, you never know what you're going to use it for, but I use it all year long. You should definitely get on board with it as well. And then also Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts. Alex can help you with your plans to go hunt the great Northeast. He can tell you where to go. He can tell you what outfitters you might want to get set up with if you're into that. Or if you're wanting to do a DIY, he can certainly help you with that as well, provide you with waypoints, 
seek out all the information you need for your best chance at a successful hunt. And uh, so you can go and talk to Alex. Go to eastwesthunts.com. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN10. Save yourself 10% off that final purchase. You can rent your gear. You can, uh, like I said, do the hunt planning. Or you can even get, like, the tag application service as well. You want to get it on that main lottery, that main moose lottery. Alex is your guy to talk to. So, again, go to eastwesthunts.com. Use that promo code FIRSTGEN10 and save yourself 10% off that final price. Thank you to you, the listeners, for always being faithful, for always showing up and um, uh, listening to the podcast. I do it for you. I hope you enjoy it. Please leave a five-star review if you have not done so yet already. That is a huge help to us content creators. And then also go check out the Hunt uh, Suburbia podcast as well. You will definitely be entertained and uh, learn a thing or two as well about that New England hunting culture and uh, maybe about what goes uh, boo in the night and uh, some of the remote parts of uh, Maine. So thank you so much, Patrick, for jumping on. And uh, until next time, everyone, take care and take someone home.